Christ our Lord. Amen. Today we continue to look at chapter 26, which deals with covenant blessings for obedience and covenant curses for disobedience. Uh, we met, mentioned last week how Leviticus and the way it ends really points us to the fact that this really truly is a book of law. In the ancient Near East, among the nations that surrounded Israel, it was common for laws that were established for those books of law to end with curses for disobedience to it and blessings for obedience to it. So this book, Leviticus, is very much a book, a code of law. It was common in the, uh, last week we looked at the blessings that would come from obedience. Uh, we saw the blessing of God's preservation for the land and for the people. We saw the blessing of God's peace for the people as he would destroy Israel's enemies. He would cause the people to be fruitful and multiply. Remember that language as we saw last week draws, draws us back to Abraham and his promise to Abraham that his offspring would number the stars of the heaven and the sands on the seashore. It also drew us back to the Garden of Eden, Eden where Adam is called and commanded to be fruitful and multiply. We saw the blessings of God's presence for obedience. His obedient people would experience the blessing of having God walk within their midst. Again, as we saw last week, that draws us back to Adam in the garden where God is walking within the midst of Adam. And Adam would experience that perpetual presence of the Lord through a perpetual obedience to God and to his law. So also now with Israel, in order for them to continually enjoy the blessings of God's presence among them, they are to bind their hearts to the Lord in obedience to his law and to his covenant. Today we will look at the curses for disobedience. Last week we looked at the blessings, and today we look at the curses. And I think the first thing that, that pops out at us when we, we read this catalog of, of curses is how much more ink is spilled over the curses than over the blessings that we looked at last week. Only 13 verses are devoted to the blessings compared to 32 verses devoted to the curses. Now, this discrepancy is uh, not an indication that God delights more in cursing his people than in blessing them, but it is rather God addressing his obstinate and rebellious people and their obstinate and rebellious hearts. Remember, this is Israel who is in the wilderness trekking toward the promised land, and they have proven themselves as a whole to be a rebellious people. They have erected a golden calf to bow down and worship. They have grumbled and complained. They have said such things as wishing to be back in bondage in Egypt, because that would be much better. They have, as a whole, shown themselves up to this point to be very much a stiff-necked and rebellious people. The Puritans often said, if you have someone who is feeling excessive guilt and shame over their sin, you preach to them grace. You preach to them blessings. But if you have somebody that is not seeing the weightiness of sin, 
but as taking sin lightly, you preach to them law. You preach to them curse. That's what you have here. God addressing a people that seem to be taking sin lightly. And he starkly warns them of the curses that he will rain down upon them if they remain obstinate and unfaithful to his covenant. And what I want us to see here today is first, these curses involve a grand reversal. Second, these curses involve discipline. And third, these curses involve the heart. These curses involve a grand reversal. These curses involve discipline. These curses involve the heart. So first, the curse of grand reversal. Last week, we looked at the blessings for obedience to the covenant. And what we find here for disobedience is really the reversal of those blessings. Really, the blessings turned on its head. Instead of rain, as we saw last week, the heavens will be made like iron. The heavens there we are to see being the sky that is to rain down the rains on the crops, but it will be made like iron due to disobedience. The rains will not come for the harvest. Rather than land yielding its increase and the trees yielding their fruit, verse 4, the land will not yield its increase and the trees will not yield its fruit, verse 20. God will take away his preservation for the land. Instead of eating bread and being full, verse 5, 10 women shall break your bread in a single oven and shall dole out your bread and you shall eat and not be satisfied, verse 26. Instead of peace within the land and the enemies being terrified of Israel, verse 7 through 8, Israel will be terrified of her enemies. Enemies will come into the land and destroy and make desolate. Instead of being fruitful and multiplying, verse 9, there will be cannibalism. They will eat the flesh of their sons and daughters, verse 29. The de decrease of the offspring will come, rather than the increase of the offspring. Instead of God's presence among his people, he will separate himself from them. Verse 31, I will make your sanctuaries desolate, and I will not smell your pleasing aromas. Consider the powerlessness and the cowardice of Israel before her enemies, as it's described here. Verse 36, they are afraid at the sound of the drop of a leaf. Verse 37, they will not have power against their enemies. Think of those famous words that we all know so well from Joshua, where God tells his people that are going to conquer the, the nations that surround Canaan. He says to them, be strong and courageous and do not be terrified. Why? Because your Lord, your God is with you wherever you go. With the Lord's presence comes courage and strength but with the Lord's absence comes the fear of a leaf falling to the ground, powerlessness against the enemy. So we see this grand reversal in the curses, blessings being turned upside down. And this is not the first time we see this kind of grand reversal. We see these sort of grand reversals in curses uh, throughout the Bible. 
Uh, just consider the words the Lord gives to Adam upon his fall. Cursed is the ground because of you. Thorns and thistles it shall produce. Compare this to Genesis 2.9. Out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Due to Adam's disobedience, the ground that was once for his benefit is now going to be for his harm. We see it with the flood. What do we get in the flood but a grand reversal? In the original creation, God separates the waters from above from the waters below. But what do you get in the flood? You get the waters from the deep bursting forth and the waters from up above raining down and colliding together. You get a grand reversal. It really is a decreation, an uncreation due to the disobedience of man on the earth. Now, what does all this tell us? The fact that God has embedded within his curse for disobedience a reversal of his blessings. Well, it tells us that the blessings of this life are knit to the obedience of God. Disobedience to God brings the opposite of blessings. God has created the world and has made man the crown of his creation so that man might experience the blessings of creation through obedience to the God from whom all blessings flow. The blessings of life and the enjoyment of the blessings of life is organically tied to obedience to God and to his law. In order to enjoy and experience the blessings of life, we are to live in obedience to the giver of life and the one from whom all blessings flow. We know, I think, this principle of grand reversals in our everyday lives, don't we? There are certain things, when we use them properly, they can be used for our benefit. But if they are used improperly, it can actually do us great harm. I think we see this most often in our own day and age through technology. What do you get in most of your science fiction films today? Technology, which is meant for the good of mankind, but it's misused. It's improperly used so that technology now is used for man's harm. Well, the same goes with the things of this world that God has blessed us with. We are to properly use the things that God has blessed us with according to the instruction manual that he gives us and provides in his word. But if we throw aside that instruction manual, that which is for our benefit will quickly turn against us. The blessings of this life, the things that we behold when we walk outside this room, the things that we behold in this room have been given to us and in the instruction manual for how we are to enjoy them is God and his word and obedience to his word. And if we are not obedient, that which seems like a blessing and benefit to us will be turned on its head and quickly turn into a curse. So we see the curse of a grand reversal. Second, the curse of discipline. The curse of discipline. We see that these verses are meant for the discipline of God's covenant people. Verse 18, verse 23, and verse 28 make this clear, that God is disciplining 
Israel through these curses. And the discipline along with the curse gets stronger and stronger as Israel remains obstinate. If Israel fails to heed the discipline and walk contrary to him, God will strike them sevenfold for their sin. In other words, this is not a tyrannical dictator with a cruel spirit who enjoys making his people miserable. This is rather a father seeking to discipline his son so that they might come back to him, the one that has redeemed him. In Exodus 4, verse 22, the Lord instructs Moses to say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. Israel's redemption is Israel's adoption. Yahweh is their father who has adopted them into his home, and they are to obey the rules of the home. And if those rules are not followed, then God will discipline his son. And what does this discipline prove from Yahweh? Not his cruel nature, but his love for Israel, his son. Proverbs 13, 24, he who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. What does God's wrath look like according to Romans 1, 26? His wrath is him giving his people over to their sins. In other words, sparing the rod. Giving people over to the enjoyment of their sin is a sign that God has cast people off. But what do you get here? You see God going to great lengths to make sure that Israel does not enjoy their sins. He brings misery upon their sins so that they would no longer walk contrary to him. The 2002 film, Catch Me If You Can, tells the amazing true story really of this master con artist, Frank Abagnale Jr., who became this con artist at the ripe uh, age of 19 and through his cons would uh, make millions upon millions of dollars until he was eventually caught up by police in France and spent several years in a French prison. Uh, but within the movie, Catch Me If You Can, which uh, seeks to tell this true story of Frank Abagnale Jr., the film follows this relationship between Frank Abagnale and his father, Frank Abagnale being played by Leonardo DiCaprio and his father being played by Christopher Walken. And the father, played by Christopher Walken, is, ex uh, is extremely impressed by the exploits of his son. He knows that he's a con artist, but he doesn't tell his son to stop. He, he, he rather enjoys the exploits of his son. He's proud of what his son has accomplished as a con, as a con artist. And near the end of the film, there's a scene with Abagnale and his father where the father reminds his son, I'm your father, to which the son replies, then tell me to stop. Tell me to stop, Pop. There are times when God will take things away from us 
He might take away certain comforts. He might take away, as our confession states, the light of his countenance, the light of his loving and gracious presence so that we might stop. He disciplines us because he loves us and because he wants us to stop walking contrary to him and live in loving fellowship with him through obedience to his house rules. Are you experiencing loss in your life today? Are you experiencing pain? Are you experiencing hardships? Perhaps it is God treating you this day as his child, seeking to get your attention, letting you know that there's something in your life that you have yet to give completely over to him so that you might stop walking contrary to your father who has bought you in the blood of his son. Hardships and pain is often a reminder that we are loved by God as our father and we are not to bewail our hardships and pain. Most oftentimes God is seeking to get our attention there's something in your life that you have not given over to me. Stop walking contrary to me and walk in concert with me and my rules. Third and finally, the curse of the heart. The curse of the heart. This disobedience that the Lord speaks of here from his son is a disobedience that comes from the heart. Verse 15 and verse 43 make this clear. In verse 15, before he lays out this catalog of curses, he says in verse 15 that this disobedience comes from uh, spurning my statutes and if your soul abhors my rules. What we should see here is not God sending these devastating curses upon a people that are doing certain things in ignorance, no, these are high-handed sins that stems from a heart that disdains God and his law. And the curses are meant to turn the hearts of his people toward him. The repentance he is looking for, his, for, his, for from his people is first and foremost, we might say, an internal repentance, a repentance of the heart toward God. We might put it this way, the reversal of the blessings into curses is meant to bring the reversal of the cursed heart into a state of blessing. The reversal of the blessing into curses is meant to bring the reversal of the cursed heart into a state of blessing. Notice what he says in verse 41 through 42 so that I walked contrary to them and brought them into the land of their enemies. If then their uncircumcised heart is humbled and they make amends for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and I will remember my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham and I will remember the land. The sign and the mark of the covenant that God made with Abraham was circumcision. And what God is saying here is what that external mark of the covenant was meant to signify. It was meant to signify the circumcision of the heart. 
the cleansing of the heart, the consecration of the heart toward God. Notice what God says. He ties his remembrance of Abraham to their hearts being humbled, to their hearts being circumcised. Abraham's true offspring are those that are not merely circumcised externally, but internally. They are those that respond to the discipline of their father and repent and turn to him with all their hearts. Now I want to close this morning and just consider Jesus's ministry, his earthly ministry in connection to the curses that we see here in Leviticus 26. Think for a moment of what it is that inaugurates Jesus's ministry. What is it? It is him taking upon himself the baptism of repentance from John the Baptist. What is Jesus doing there? He is identifying himself with the very thing that Leviticus 26 says will turn back the covenant curses. And what is it that Jesus hears upon that baptism? Behold, this is my beloved son. And what is it that Jesus does in his earthly ministry? Think of his miracles for a moment. When he heals the sick and he heals those with diseases, what is he doing? He's not merely showing how powerful he is. He is displaying before the eyes of Israel that in Jesus Christ, the covenant curse is turned back. Think of his feeding of the 5,000 and his feeding of the 4,000. What's he doing there? He's not merely showing how powerful he is. He's showing that in him, there is abundance. The covenant curse is turned back. The people eat and are satisfied, and there is food left over. Think of John 6, 35, that famous phrase of Jesus, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. What's he saying there? That faith union in Jesus Christ, the covenant curse upon Israel, is turned back. In Christ, there is only blessing. Now, of course, this is in full anticipation of what he will do at the cross at Calvary when he will hang on a tree and become a curse for us. In Christ, there is no more curse. He exhausts it in his death. And what is it that he does in his resurrection and ascension? but he pours and he rains down. That sky that was once iron is now flooded with the waters of what? His Holy Spirit that is implanted where? Into the hearts of his people. By his life, death, and resurrection, he circumcises the hearts of God's blood-bought children through the abundant waters of his poured-out spirit so that we would turn from our sins to our heavenly Father, who has adopted us in the blood of his Son. And now with circumcised hearts, now with regenerated spirits, we heed the warnings, we heed the discipline from our Father who loves us, and we are able now to turn from our sins and to walk with him and enjoy the eternal inheritance that Christ has won for us in his blood. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.
Dear Father, we thank you that you are a God who loves us, that you have not spared your only begotten Son for us, and Lord, that you have done for us what we were incapable of doing, circumcising our hearts by your poured out spirit, bringing fulfillment to all the covenant promises of the Old Testament in Jesus Christ, so that in him we belong to a new covenant where there is no more curse hanging over our heads, but we belong to a covenant where blessings in abundance now flow now and forever. So, oh Lord, we pray that you would prepare us for our eternal inheritance, for that heavenly Jerusalem that has come down with Christ. As you turn us away from our sins, as we heed your warnings and live in obedience to you and to your holy law, to your rules, your statutes, and to your precepts, that we would enjoy all your blessings, all the blessings of this life and the life to come in and through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We pray and we ask all these things in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you please stand for our closing hymn, More Love to Thee. Thank you. 